Hi, this is Josie Posey. And this is Sylvia Bellavin. And you're You're listening listening to Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. Hi, everyone. Welcome. I'm Pastor Tim with Word of Hope Christian Church in New Braunfels, Texas. What a joy to be with you. Today is Palm Sunday, April 10th. What an honor to be with you as we get to talk about this amazing Sunday where we celebrate Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem. It's often called the triumphal entry, and it begins the last week of Jesus' life. He enters Jerusalem on Sunday. By Friday, he is dead. Most know the story of Jesus' arrival into Jerusalem, But today I want to spend some time finding out more of what it was really all about and how that applies for us today. So that's really the title of the sermon, simply Palm Sunday, what is it all about? And we'll be using Matthew 21 verses 1 to 11 as our main scripture. I'll tell you more in a minute, but right now, join me in a word of prayer. Most gracious Heavenly Father, thank you for the privilege we have to talk about you once again. Lord, open our hearts and minds to discuss this Palm Sunday, what it's really all about, and how that can apply to us today. Teach us, Lord, in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. Christians have been celebrating Palm Sunday for a long time, and for a particular reason. Before we dive into the Word, here's some history I thought would be interesting to share with you. Palm Sunday, first known as Pasha, originated in the Jerusalem church around the late 3rd or early 4th century. Ceremonies consisted of prayers, hymns, and sermons, as people moved through the numerous holy sites within the city of Jerusalem. At the last site, which happened to be outside the city, the place of Jesus' ascension into heaven, the clergy would read the biblical account of Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem, and then, as evening approached, the people would return to the city reciting Matthew 21, 9, which says, Blessed is he that comes in the name of the Lord. By the 5th century, the celebration had spread as far as Constantinople, which is a city in modern-day Turkey. It wasn't until the 6th and 7th centuries that the ritual blessing of the palms was added. A morning procession replaced the evening one, and by the 8th century, the Western Church was celebrating Dominica in Palmas, or Palm Sunday. Palm Sunday engages our minds and spirits and has us look forward to next week in which we celebrate Easter, Resurrection Sunday. Palm Sunday helps us to orient our hearts toward the suffering death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. Jesus' death did not happen all of a sudden, but was the culmination of human plans and, more importantly, the will of God. So what happened on Palm Sunday? We find the events of Palm Sunday in Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, and John 12. So it would be really cool if we could break up into groups right now, and some of you take Matthew 21, some of you take Mark 11, and yet another group take Luke 19, and I'll work on John 12. That'd be cool, and we could all come together, and we could talk about what was happening. I'm just kidding, though. That would be a little impractical. But I would like you to follow me today in Matthew chapter 21. So if you have your Bible or Bible apps, open them up to Matthew 21, verses 1 to 11. So we're going to read that. It's going to be our base scripture today. And there are five stops on today's journey. And as we visit each stop, we'll see the various truths presented so we understand what this was all about. The first stop on our journey today is at verses 1 through 5, where we'll find out about, here's our first stop, it's titled, The Plan of God. Let's read those opening verses. 
Matthew 21, verses 1 to 5. Now when they drew near to Jerusalem and came to Bethphage, to the Mount of Olives, then Jesus sent two disciples, saying to them, Go into the village in front of you, and immediately you will find a donkey tied and a colt with her. Untie them and bring them to me. If anyone says anything to you, you shall say, The Lord needs them, and he will send them at once. This took place to fulfill what was spoken by the prophet, saying, Say to the daughter of Zion, Behold, your king is coming to you, humble and mounted on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a beast of burden. I can't help but see in these verses the working out of the plan of God. Can you see that too? Jesus was fulfilling God's plan that had been in the works before God even created the world. How do we know that Jesus was the plan before creation? Other passages in the Bible help us see this truth. For instance, 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. He was foreknown for the foundation of the world, but was made manifest in the last times for the sake of you, who through him are believers in God, who raised him from the dead and gave him glory, so that your faith and hope are in God. Ephesians 1, verses 4 and 5 also says, Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will. So before God laid the foundations of the world, Jesus Christ was planned to be the way of salvation. God had each stage planned out in his power and knowledge and sovereign will. We see that in a very small way as Jesus was beginning to approach Jerusalem. Jesus sends, as we just read, two of his disciples into the village of Bethphage, which is about a mile outside Jerusalem. He predicts that a donkey and colt will be tied there and the owners will let the disciples take them. That is exactly what happens. The disciples go and they find the donkey and the colt exactly where Jesus said they would be. The animals are there in preparation for Jesus' arrival. How do we know that? Hundreds of years prior, Isaiah 62:11 and Zechariah 9:9 predicted that the Messiah, who was king, would ride into Jerusalem on a donkey. Say whatever you want about Jesus' chosen mode of transportation. He picked a Prius, not a Corvette. But riding on a donkey was foretold for the Messiah riding into Jerusalem, and Jesus fulfilled it. The truth is, Jesus is the plan. What we see from these verses is that the plan of God is in motion and was by no means an afterthought or reaction or even a plan B. The plan of God was for his son to die on the cross in order to offer us life and salvation and the way to have a restored relationship with God. The plan has you and I in mind. The prophecies about Jesus from the Old Testament fulfilled in his life are markers for us that show God has worked his redemptive plan throughout history because he loves us. Jesus is the plan. Can you say that with me? Jesus is the plan. I was watching some YouTube videos the other day, and I watched a short video sharing the groundbreaking nature of the science fiction show Babylon 5. Even if you don't know about the show, just stay with me for a moment. It was a show in the mid-1990s, and what made it different and perhaps ahead of its time was that the writers and creators wanted to make one show that spanned five years. Nothing like that had been done at that point. The video shared that from the beginning, the writers and creators had to have backup plans for each of the characters in case the actors died, quit, or something else happened. 
It happened, in fact, after season one, when the main character left the show because he had cancer. Five years to share one story is a long time. Lots of work to coordinate a TV show for that long and writing that many episodes. I say all that to mention that Almighty God wove together thousands of years and countless lives and gajillions of decisions all to bring about Jesus Christ exactly as he wanted. He did it and he foretold he would do it. Jesus is the plan. The next stop on our journey is found in verse 6 and it's called the disciples obey. Let's read Matthew 21 verse 6. It says, the disciples went and did as Jesus had directed them. That verse is so simple. Jesus tells two of his followers to go and they went. He gives them instructions and they follow the instructions. It's not complicated at all. Go, went, do, did, simple. But why did they obey? Our first instinct might be to answer that Jesus is the teacher and they're the student and therefore they had to obey. We might also have a connected thought that the disciples of Jesus believed that he was God and therefore they were simply obeying because he is God. That's completely true. And we see that borne out in verses like Matthew 7, 21, Luke 6, 46, and John 14, verses 15, 21, and 23. I would agree that there is one more element to this that is very important even for us. I think that additionally, the disciples of Jesus obeyed because he was trustworthy and worth obeying. The disciples saw the day in and day out routine of Jesus. They saw him and knew exactly who he was and who he claimed to be. The miracles they saw Jesus do backed his identity. His private life matched his teachings to the crowds. Jesus is who he says he is, and he who promises is faithful, Hebrews 10, 23, and is worth following and worth obeying. The teachings of Jesus lay out for us the trustworthy way of living for God. Truth in Jesus is worth obeying. Jesus is worth obeying because he has proven that he is the way, the truth, and the life, and that God's path laid out by him is the best life you can possibly live, especially when it comes to managing our money and what to make a priority. Jesus is worth obeying. Jesus is worth obeying in choosing our husband or wife. He's also worth obeying in forgiving others and seeking forgiveness from others. Jesus is worth obeying because he establishes our self-identity and how we let ourselves be defined and labeled. He's worthy of our obedience in how we vote, what TV programs we watch, what music we listen to, and what influences us. Jesus is also worthy to direct the words that come out of our mouths, as well as shaping and helping us deal with the attitudes and prejudices of our hearts. If we count ourselves as followers of Christ, we should go and do and be as he directs. Jesus is worth obeying. Avengers Infinity War, back in 2018, is part one of a great movie with superheroes in the Marvel Universe. In the movie, many good guys band together to fight one bad guy. The Avengers and Guardians of the Galaxy must unite to secure victory, but they really don't know each other. When the Avengers and Guardians meet for the first time, Neither group knows the other's allegiance. During the battle, Doctor Strange realizes that both teams may be fighting for the same cause. Here's a small amount of dialogue in the midst of the struggle. Doctor Strange says, Let me ask you this one time. What master do you serve? Star-Lord answers, What master do I serve? What am I supposed to say, Jesus? Well, the answer is actually yes. Chris Pratt, who plays Star-Lord in the movie, 
did an interview in Vanity Fair magazine. In the interview, Pratt shares the story about a night that changed his life. He was sitting outside a grocery store. He was waiting on some older friends who were inside purchasing beer for a party when a stranger walked up to him. You going to party to drink and do drugs? Pratt responded, I hope so. In the interview, Pratt explained what happened next. It should have made me nervous, but it didn't, he said. Why are you asking? He said, Jesus told me to talk to you. At that moment, I was like, I have to go with this guy. He took me to church. Over the next few days, I surprised my friends by declaring I was going to change my life. Friends, Jesus is worth obeying. Can you say that with me? Jesus is worth obeying. Amen. Next on our journey is verses 7 through 8. Let's turn there in our Bibles where we're going to talk about honoring Jesus. Let's read Matthew 21, 7 and 8. They brought the donkey and the colt and put on them their cloaks, and he sat on them. Most of the crowd spread their cloaks on the road, and others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road. I want to share one other verse with you as we think about verses 7 and 8, and that is 2 Kings 9, 13, which says, Then in haste every man of them took his garment and put it under him on the bare steps, and they blew the trumpet and proclaimed, Jehu is king. The cultures of the Bible are a little different from ours, but placing garments or other material underneath someone connotes majesty. It was meant to show honor and respect. I suppose it is the same as a young man and a young lady who are taking a stroll and they come to a puddle. He wishes to appear chivalrous and honor the lady, so he takes his coat and places it over the puddle so the lady does not get her shoes wet or muddy. Same thought here. I've always wondered, though, what does the fellow do with his coat afterwards? Hmm. Anyway, the disciples spread their cloaks on the donkey to honor Jesus, and some in the crowds put their cloaks on the ground as a way to honor Jesus. Other people cut palm branches and spread them on the ground. It was a sign of respect. It was a sign of their affection for Jesus as their king. When the crowds were looking at Jesus, they saw someone worthy of honor and respect and royal authority. The truth is, you and I should honor Christ in everything we say, think, and do. I was listening to a podcast recently where Franklin Graham, Billy Graham's son, was interviewed about faith and politics and the riot that happened at the Capitol in January 2021. The interviewer asked Franklin Graham what would make a Christian believe that they should storm into the Capitol building, break laws, and endanger lives. Franklin Graham said without any hesitation, that no one person who broke into the building that day was a Christian, not one. He knew that because he saw the video and heard the audio of those in the building and every other word was F this and F that. He said, Christians don't speak that way. He said, because followers of Jesus don't speak that way, not one person who broke the laws was a Christian. You think that's true? Our actions, our attitudes, and even how we speak shows the world if we are a believer in Jesus Christ. Our words matter. Honoring Jesus matters. The crowds honor Jesus with a demonstrative action covering the ground to show honor. Our next stop is verse 9, where we're going to talk about the fact that it is Jesus who saves. Can you say that with me? It is Jesus who saves. Let's look at Matthew 21, verse 9. And the crowds that went before him and that followed him were shouting, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna 
in the highest. John 12, 12 tells us that a great crowd or a great multitude came out to meet Jesus on the donkey. This is not just a few people we're talking about here. We're talking about hundreds and hundreds of people, perhaps even into the thousands. This group is a whole lot of people who've heard about Jesus' teachings and maybe seen some of his miracles. They heard about this possible Messiah and they wanted to see him. So as Jesus entered into the city, crowds of people shouted three different things according to verse 9. Look at it again. They are, Hosanna to the son of David. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And thirdly, Hosanna in the highest. All those words are astounding. Let's look closer. First, Hosanna to the son of David. Hosanna is a Hebrew expression that means save now or save I pray. These folks were praising Jesus for the saving work he had already done. He had saved many from sickness, disease, and demon possession. They wanted to see more. Little did they know that Jesus Christ would soon save them from much more than that. Little did they know that Jesus would soon be betrayed and abandoned, but remain strong. Little did they know that Jesus would soon die and conquer death. Little did they know that Jesus would soon take on their and our sins. And little did they know that Jesus would soon make the final payment for their souls. The people in the parade and those standing around the entrance to Jerusalem were also talking kingship in regards to Jesus because they were calling out Hosanna to the son of David. They were talking about the kingship granted to David and his descendants. And the king had God's authority, taught the law, and was a righteous judge. Jesus had done all that and more, and people wanted to see more. Next, these folks called out, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. These folks were praising Jesus because they believed he was a prophet. A prophet is someone who comes in the name of the Lord. A prophet is God's representative. The people walking with Jesus into Jerusalem wanted to see even more prophetic teaching from Jesus and signs and wonders done by the hand of God. And lastly, they called out, Hosanna in the highest. This is similar to the opening statement. Over and over again, people were praising Jesus for the saving work he had done, and they wanted to see him help even more. In fact, they expected him to be a national leader who would restore their nation to its former glory. The truth is, only Jesus saves. I know there are so many other paths of living and options in this world, but only Jesus saves. Can you say that with me? Only Jesus saves. And that leads us to our last stop on the journey today, verses 10 and 11, which tell us that we should be able to correctly, and here it is, identify Jesus. Look with me, Matthew 21, verses 10 and 11. And then when he entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred up saying, who is this? And the crowd said, this is the prophet Jesus from Nazareth of Galilee. This verse tells us that once Jesus entered Jerusalem, some were wondering just who he was. When Jesus was born and the wise men had come seeking him, the entire city had been, as Luke 2, 3 says, disturbed. So once again, Jesus caused a great disturbance in the city and the people asked, who is this? It's important that we correctly identify Jesus because there is a lot of garbage out in the world today that is simply not true. The crowds identified Jesus rightly as a prophet. Jesus was definitely a messenger from God. The crowds also got his name correct, the name given to him by God. They also rightly identify that he is the one from Nazareth in Galilee who had been preaching and teaching for three years. 
the crowds correctly pointed out who Jesus was. The truth is, folks, Jesus' life, death, and resurrection show him to be so much more than a prophet from Galilee. They show that Jesus is God. They show that he's the promised one who would crush the head of Satan. He's the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's our great high priest who intercedes for us with God. Jesus is our Redeemer. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Jesus is the good shepherd and the light of the world. Jesus is the suffering servant who heals us. Jesus is the Messiah promised to bring salvation. He is the one who sets us free. Jesus is our hope. So what does all this mean? It means that God had a plan, and that plan was to send his one and only son, Jesus, to save the world. It's always been God's plan to do this. It means that as followers of Christ, we should obey the Lord and honor him in all that we say, think, and do. It means that only Jesus Christ can save you and me, no one else. And it means that we need to be able to correctly identify Jesus for who he is. He is Lord of all. And it means this is the invitation of Jesus, our Savior and our Lord. I really don't know how anybody could say no to him, but some do. I pray that you will not today. I pray that you will answer yes and make your commitment to Jesus Christ right now. God bless you. Go in peace. Thanks for listening. Join us again next time for another encouraging message from God's Word. To find out more about our ministry, look us up on the web at www.whccnb.org. Word of Hope Christian Church. Real people. A real God. Real hope.